We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, Nets fans. Welcome to another edition of the Booking Buzz. I'm Jack Manuel, as always, joined by the incomparable Nick Faye. Uh, Nick, not the best night, but how are you doing anyway? I'm doing all right, Jack. You know, I almost have become numb to these kind of losses since they happen so much. Yeah, it's a bit odd. We had such promise early on, it's almost been taken away just through the hands of your boy, Carol Silvert. But we'll talk, we'll focus on this uh, jazz outfit. As always, guys, NetRepublic.com, OGDBasketball.com, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Dash Radio, YouTube. Is that it, Nick? Yeah, you got it, Jack. Yeah, cool. All right, I'm getting better at this. Uh, but <laughs> enough about me. Nick, uh, what went wrong? The Nets had an outstanding third quarter. Both teams had a so-so first quarter and first half, but uh, what was the story of this one? Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at the box score, it looks like the Jazz, you know, made the comeback in the fourth quarter, and that's really what happened. You know, it was a meltdown by the Nets. You know, 101-91 Jazz, and the Jazz scored 31 in the fourth, and Nets scored 13, and like you said, in that third quarter, things were going good. You know, they caught some nice juice. The energy was high. Spencer Dinwiddie was on, like, a 17-point scoring run of his own, and he was hot, and they put up 36 points. The Jazz put up 27 but it felt good for the Nets. Then as soon as that fourth quarter started, you know, Utah kind of picked up the defensive energy a little bit, the physicalness a little bit as well. They started playing. Uh, Donovan Mitchell really took over. Gobert had his impact, and the Nets offense just went stagnant. They couldn't get any points, any anything anywhere. They were getting sloppy with the ball. You know, this game also saw season lows for the Nets in field goal percentage at 34.9, assists at 11, and turnovers wasn't a season low, but it was terrible at 20. Yeah, Nick, how did, obviously, when the Jazz started off so poorly themselves, how did they get themselves up to that 47.6 number? Was it just them making shots? Was the Nets giving them open lanes or we couldn't, you know, protect the paint? Obviously, they scored us there. Uh, Rudy Gobert had a massive night, as did Donovan Mitchell. What was the story of that one? 
Uh, Mitchell really took over in the fourth quarter. He was kind of struggling throughout the game, and then he just turned it on. Like you said, Gobert was just a monster the entire game. You know, a lot of the Nets guards would either get lost on pick and roll or just lost under a defender. You know, Jared Allen have to step up, and then Gobert would have an easy lane to the rim for either a dunk or a putback and whatnot. Then also the Jazz had a couple guys just step up. Like Royce O'Neal was five of six, you know, hit three threes. He was three for three. I think he was shooting under 30% from three before the game. You know, Raul Neto was four of eight from the field. They had some guys just hit shots where, you know, the Nets would have lived with him shooting those shots. Just happened to hit him this night. And the Jazz also stayed consistent in what they're trying to do, attacking the paint, getting inside, winning their matchups, and just played better in the fourth quarter. You know, they carried their energy because the Jazz picked up their offense in the third quarter. Their defense just kind of dropped off. But they continued that hot offense in the fourth quarter as well, where so the Nets just got completely stagnant. Yeah, 13 points to 31. Uh, not going to win you many games when you score 13 points in a quarter. But, Nick, let's talk and focus a bit on our Nets. D'Angelo Russell had one of his poorer games from the season, 6-25 from the field, 2-6 from three. Did have seven assists and a couple of rebounds here and there, but did have four turnovers. What went wrong for D'Lo? Yeah, he just wasn't hitting shots. You know, he had a lot of good looks. He was getting in the paint. Gobert definitely impacted him. You know, the Utah's defense was physical with him. He wasn't getting to necessarily the spots he wanted to. They also did a great job of kind of collapsing the paint as soon as any of the Nets got inside, especially off of pick and rolls. And the Nets weren't really doing a good job moving the ball, like I said, 11 assists. And as soon as they would drive, they'd either kind of force up the shot or throw a bad pass out of that, you know, 20 turnovers. And it just... Like, they weren't being patient, and they weren't persistent driving. It's like things weren't going right. The Jazz were playing physical. They were being stern. The Nets really didn't keep going at them because when they did in that third quarter get to the free throw line, good things happened. It's just like they almost got lazy, and they didn't really want to deal with the physicalness of the Jazz. Yeah, Rudy Gobert down low is obviously going to be a force. Him, guys like Joel Embiid, I think you need to stick through to what you're saying, like you mentioned, Nick. You know, keep going, keep attacking because – you get a guy like Rudy Gobert in foul trouble and it makes the lanes a little bit more open, makes those looks uh, a little bit better. But uh, another guy who we've spoken about at length, Alan Crabb, another poor night, 3 of 10 from the field, only 9 points. Um, 3 of 7 from 3, though, so all of his shots he did hit from the perimeter. But, uh, Nick, is Alan Crabb's contract right now a top 5 worst in the NBA? Yeah, it probably is. I think going to the game, he's shooting like the one of the worst field goal percentages in the NBA for guys that actually, you know, play X amount of games. And Crab also had two passes in this game that were just absolutely terrible. I don't know who he was passing to. They were just like way off over the head of, I think, one D'Angelo Russell. I can't remember the other player. Still just doesn't look fully confident. Doesn't really look confident other than shooting threes. Like there was a layup in this game where he had a good look. There was another point where he could have kind of drove it. Ricky Rubio and got right to the rim. He didn't do it. Alan Crab is just completely at the sink right now. He needs something to kind of reset his game. Yeah, I think uh, we spoke about, you know, we, we touched on it you know, a couple of times with Brian and in general about our depth. When you have one of your key guys p- performing so poorly, he's had one above average game this season. All the rest of them have been below average or even worse. You can't, you know, who are we going to put in there instead? You know, we have Shabazz Napier playing 16 minutes. Spencer did when he got 22. I would prefer those guys to be getting a few more minutes. But in Alan Crabbe's places, he has a bit more size about him as well. And, you know, is, does those minutes go elsewhere? It's it's hard to sort of – I mean, a lot of guys will, will pen the blame on, on Coach Kenny yet again. But the Nets just don't have the, the depth of talent. We have the depth. But I think Coach Kenny at times can be afraid to sort of, you know, extend the rotation or give out minutes to guys. And I think if you take away those minutes from Alan Crabbe, it's going to – you know, make things even worse and make his contract even more of an albatross. And obviously, you know, we're trying to free up space going forward. And he's really the only blip on Sean Marks's otherwise very good uh, GM resume. Uh, but 
Is there a solution for the Alan Crabb situation, Nick? I'm not sure. And the reason Dinwiddie didn't play big minutes, he was in foul trouble a lot this game. But uh, back to Crabb, um, I, I really don't know what they can do. You know, they put him in the starting lineup trying to boost up his confidence. It's on Alan Crabb to kind of be better. You know, maybe they can try to move him in some type of deal, but I doubt anybody wants that contract. It would have to be in some type of bigger deal where the Nets are maybe going after a star-type player, a, a player with like a reasonably sized contract. But right now, I don't know if there's much that Nets can do to make Alan Crabb better. It's more so on him. Yeah, it definitely has to be on him. And I think you can only do so much as a coach uh, before it just it becomes out of your hands, like you mentioned. But Nick Rondo, Hollis Jefferson, I started yet again. Box score looks okay. Um, Joe Dudley continuing in his patrol. Damari Carroll, I think, is still finding his feet, which is a little bit of a worry. Um, so I think the four situation, any improvements? Not really. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Rondé had some decent moments in the game, you know, high energy, some nice drives at Gobert, attacking the rim, just a little bit of inconsistency, a little bit out of control. The fourth quarter, he took like a three, you know, in the corner. Obviously, you don't want that when it's a close game. Just Rondé is not great at, you know, taking like starter type minutes. In a smaller role of like 24 minutes, I think he's great. And like you said, Damari, he almost missed this game with a sore foot slash ankle on the one he just had surgery on. So that's a little concerning. But if he can get healthy, I think that'd be a major boost for the Nets because even adds in the rebounding department, you see him always attacking the boards. And Jared Dudley, you know, he looks more like Jared Dudley of last year than the one we saw in the first 10 games. Yeah, exactly. And I think, Nick, we've seen some of our young guys, our G League guys, performing really, really well. Is it time for even guys like Alan Williams to get the call up? I, I mean, I've been really intrigued with Alan Williams because I remember when he was in Phoenix and he was actually healthy. He put up some monster nights, but I'd be interested to see what he can do. And obviously, he still brings the rebounding prowess. So, someone to keep an eye on, in my opinion. Yeah, we're six games behind um, 500 now. I think the playoffs are becoming more and more out of reach. You know, obviously, that Grizzlies game becomes even more important going forward. But you know, I'd like to see Rodion's. I'd like to see Jana. I especially want to see Rodion's. But I think now is the time to sort of see what you've got with these guys because I think that they are, you know, you need to see if they're potential rotation pieces going forward and if they have a place on your roster, you know, going into the future because, you know, there's going to be a lot of finagling going forward in terms of the roster, in terms of, you know, free agency and such. But I'm excited. I hope Coach Kenny starts to experiment a little bit more, but I do remember seeing a quote from our guy, Brian Fonseca. He asked about the sort of powerful position and they're not going to make any sort of decisions until... You know, a couple of games and see how Rondé is in his, you know, starting role and see how Joe Dudley is in his uh, backup role. But, you know, Joe Dudley, we said before, he, he he's better served as a backup. But, man, that's powerful position. Uh, I think it's it's always been our most, uh, you know, weak position. And I think it's... For years. For years and years. And especially when a guy like Damari Carroll, you know, isn't at his best. And Rondé Hollis-Jefferson hasn't been able to expand his game beyond, you know, 10 to 12 feet. Um, but there are a lot of issues. But, Nick, any hope for the, for the Grizzlies game before we get off uh, this one? Yeah, I mean, I, just to touch on a couple points you said, I think, you know, by the end of 2018, we'll have a really good idea where the Nets are going to go. And they're going to be competing for the playoffs or it's going to be more so, you know, let the young guys play slash tank kind of in a way. Because right now the direction is unsure with the way the four position is, like you said, Jack. So, I mean, that's something to really keep an eye on. Is Rodion's going to get minutes? Is Musa going to get minutes? Could they actually help this team and make them better? You know, it's something we'd like to see going forward. 
for the Grizzlies game, the Grizzlies haven't been, you know, amazing this season. You know, they've definitely picked it up, but over the last few games, I think against Toronto, they showed some of their flaws. Obviously, Toronto's really good. So I think the Nets have a chance to beat them, but it's not like I'm picking them to win by a large margin. Like, I think this is a game where they really need to win if the playoffs are a real goal for them, because if not, it's, you know, what is it, five straight losses? Yeah, you can't really, you know, crawl your way back from seven wins behind 500. It's going to get really, really difficult, especially when we don't have anyone coming back in the near future. You know, Trevion Graham is still a wait-and-see proposition, and we need him probably more than ever. I mean, it's it's tough to say for a guy who's in his first year with the team and in his second year, I believe, you know, in the NBA. And Carlos Silvert, obviously, you know, we can talk about him at length, about how, many, how much we miss him, you know, especially if you're talking about a guy like Donovan Mitchell. Check out Karis Levert on there. Did the job on Denver Booker. Did the job on Gary Harris. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he would have done it on Donovan either. But Nick, any final thoughts? Um, no, really, Jack. That's about it. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, the games people like to point out to, like, Kenny, the reason they've lost. But I think this is a game where it's on the players. You know, shooting 34% from the field, 20 turnovers. Coach really can't do much for you there. I think the guys just need to step up. And someone other than Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell need to step up. I think those two, even D'Lo had a bad game tonight, but he's still trying. He's trying to be aggressive. Nobody else on the team has really taken on that bigger role, which someone needs to do. You need a third sort of ancillary piece, you know. It's an Otto Porter type. You know, I'm not alluding to the fact that we're going to go after Otto Porter, but you need a sort of third role guy, whether it's a Joe Ingles. You know, obviously he didn't have his best night, but you need that sort of, you know, Ronde is sort of, but he just doesn't ha- it doesn't fit offensively for us. He's probably still our best defender, but even then, you know, I'd much rather have Carol Savert as our sort of defender going forward. And even to a lesser extent, Trevion Graham, because I think he has a little more capability man on man and, and, and on the, some of those guard guys. But um, guys, always thanks for listening. Nick, do the spiel because uh, you're much better at the moment. It, it rolls off your tongue a lot better. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. It's a lot of practice. Uh, and you can follow the Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com, nasserfog.com, YouTube, and Dash Radio. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.